You're listening to Preaching Source, a ministry of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary's School of Preaching. I'm your host, Professor Barry McCarty. Our guest on Preaching Source today is Dr. David Allen. Uh, He is a distinguished professor of preaching and the dean of the School of Preaching here at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, Many of you may know him from his commentaries on Hebrews in the New American Commentary series and his commentary on 1st through 3rd John. Uh, He's written a number of books on preaching, preaching tools, text-driven preaching, and then most recently, a significant theological work entitled The Extent of the Atonement. He is a preacher, a scholar, and a snarl-around good fellow. So, Dr. Allen, welcome to Preaching Source today. Oh, thank you, Dr. McCarty. It's a joy to be here. One of the things that Dr. Allen does, and he does a lot, is he teaches in our program at Oxford University, our summer uh, series that takes place at Oxford, and he is a specialist in British preaching, so British Baptist preaching. So, Dr. Allen, today I'd I'd really like to tap into uh, your expertise in British Baptist preaching, and can we start with a little bit of historical background? Uh, The the Renaissance, the English Reformation, the post-Reformation Puritanism, these were all important uh, movements in preaching in the British Isles. Uh, can, Can you Talk to us about those and, and how specifically the Renaissance Reformation and Puritanism influenced homiletics in England. Well, I'm surely happy to do that, but I, I must demur it. One thing you've said, I don't think uh, I classify or qualify as being an expert in anything related to British preaching or British Baptist preaching, but it is certainly a hobby of mine. I love uh, uh, messing around in that particular era of history and enjoy teaching that particular course, and especially when we're able to uh, be in English. England for that course. But yes, the history of preaching as it occurs uh, there, the Reformation, and prior to the Reformation, of course, the Renaissance, which occurred roughly, oh, 1400 to about 1525, variously dated. But during the Renaissance period, what led to the Reformation or contributed to it were a number of factors, uh, including the decline of the papacy, uh, the rise of the small new uh, nations that were uh, coming on on the scene during that time. And of course, the Renaissance, the word itself means rebirth, the rebirth of learning that occurred and the rise of scholasticism. All of this uh, would contribute to what would become uh, ultimately Puritan preaching in England. And there are a number of other factors as well, the rise of humanism and the role of Erasmus uh, in that aspect. And then, of course, the most important uh, pre-Reformation figure would be John Wycliffe, 1320 to 1384, along with his group of poor preachers, or as they were sometimes called, the Lollards, meaning mumblers. And Wycliffe was a crucial figure during this time, along with the preaching of the Lollards, because uh, that led to uh, the English, the translation of the English Bible in 1382, which was huge for what would happen later with the Reformation uh, in England itself. Of course, you have the invention of movable type in 14. 
1446. And then in 1516, you have Erasmus's publication of the Greek New Testament. That, by the way, was very influential uh, on Martin Luther, because when Luther, Luther was preaching through Romans there on the continent in Germany, you can actually almost tell when he received his copy of Erasmus's Greek New Testament. It changed the way he preached and taught uh, on Romans. So all of these events during the Renaissance were leading up to what was happening, uh, what would become the English Reformation. Now, in England, the Reformation formally begins with Henry VIII, and of course his dates are 1509 to 1547, and there are really three events that, that lead off uh, that are crucial for the Reformation in, in, in happening there in England and in terms of Henry VIII, his divorce from Catherine of Aragon, his desire for independence from papal authority and his discontent and the discontent among the people with the religious conditions of the day. So really, the Reformation gets started under uh, Henry VIII and then it is continued under the boy king, Edward VI, who was only 10 years old when he began to reign in 1546. Seven, reigned to uh, 1553. But during that time, the period of the protectorate, you have uh, Cranmer and Ridley and Latimer, and you have these men who are preaching in England. You have the production of the Book of Homilies in 1548, which are 12 sermons that are designed to aid uh, the, the new Reformation preachers, the new so-called Protestant uh, preachers. And by the way, Cranmer wrote five of those, and Ridley and Latimer and Bootser all contributed as well. Now, what's interesting about those sermons is they're uh, pretty much topical in nature. They deal with the subject of the nature and inerrancy of Scripture, uh, the nature of salvation by grace through faith alone, and basic theological topics that are not truly, not really expository sermons at all. In fact, there wasn't a lot of expositional preaching going on during the actual Reformation in England until the rise of of the Puritans. And then when the Puritans come along uh, under the reign of Queen Elizabeth, who reigned from 1558 to 1603, uh, during that time with the rise of the Puritans, you get uh, what we now know famously as Puritan preaching. And even today, the modern day British pulpit has been heavily uh, influenced by uh, the preaching of the Puritans. Now, the Puritans, there were different kinds of Puritans. You have Puritans who were a part of the Church of England. Uh, called Ang They were Anglican in terms of what they were denominated, uh, in terms of terminology. But then you have Puritans that are separatists. You have Puritans who are uh, have a range of theological conviction. You have some Puritans, probably the majority were Calvinists, and then you have some who were more of a more Arminian persuasion. So you have some who are uh, who are in that vein. But you have you have Anglican preaching then, and you have Puritan preachers. So you have two kinds of of preaching going on. You have the Anglican preachers, Cranmer, Latimer, and people like that. And then you get into the Puritans, John Hooper, John Jewell, Richard Hooker, uh, and a host of those. Now, among the Anglican preachers, you've got two very interesting people, uh, Lancelot Andrews and John Dunn. 
and they were called the metaphysical preachers. It was a part of English culture at the time, a fashion that came and went. But as a rhetorician, you'll be fascinated by it because it was a style of preaching that would associate words and ideas that were not usually connected in a clever kind of a way. Uh, so you you would use a lot of fancy language and and uh, a lot of the uh, simile and metaphor was very common in this kind of preaching. And the two famous preachers here would be Lancelot Andrews uh, and uh, John Donne. And you find the kinds of things that they would do. Uh, their use of language is quite amazing, and we really don't have time to go into all of that. But I give one example uh, from a Christmas sermon. Uh, here is Lancelot Andrews, and for, in his sermon he says... Uh, the child to import his humanity, the son, his divine nature. All along his life you shall see these two. At his birth, a cratch for a child, but a star for the son. A company of shepherds viewing the child, but a choir of angels celebrating the son. In his life, hungry himself to show the nature of the child, yet feeding the 5,000 to show the power of the son. At his death, dying on the cross as the son of Adam. At the same time, disposing of paradise as the Son of God. And he would preach like this, these kinds of turns of phrases and rhetorical effect. Uh, was not expositional in nature by any means, but uh, the metaphysical preachers uh, of Andrews and Dunn was very, very crucial in the court preaching of that era. But outside of the court and outside of Anglican preaching, you have the Puritans. And they are really the foundation of the British pulpit today and really uh, all all expository preaching today, in one sense, uh, flows at least through the Puritans. The Puritans didn't invent expository preaching, but it certainly flows through them. And they developed a, a number of preaching lectureships where they would train other young preachers in how to preach and have preaching conferences in training preachers how to preach. They were known, of course, for the plain style, Puritan plain style. And they would be very uh, careful to do exegesis uh, of Scripture. Their sermon was generally in three parts. You would have first basic exposition, and then you would have a theological development of that exposition, and then the third and final section was what Puritans called uses. It's what you and I today would call, would, would probably call application. Now, the Puritans, are, are, although they are associated with uh, expository preaching, it's important to notice that, yes, they did do exposition, but sometimes uh, their preaching uh, was less than exposition, and it was more uh, of a theological nature. The Puritans had a theology that they were attempting to communicate, and so they would develop their sermons. They would take a text, maybe spend five minutes talking about that text, but then rather quickly, many times, they would move away from that text into a theological exposition of development of a certain theology, and of course, for the most part, that would be a Calvinistic approach to theology, and so you'll find the Puritans preaching on one or two verses Verses, having several sermons maybe on a single verse or two and dealing with more theology, cramming that in there, than dealing with the exposition of the text. So some Puritans uh, do that, but other Puritans are more expositional and as we should be in our preaching, and we learn a great deal uh, from the Puritans in terms of what happens in preaching. And of course, the Puritans were very uh, influential 
on the Baptist. Mm. Uh, Dr. Allen, th- thinking about what's happening at this period of history, the, the run-up to the Reformation and then the Reformation itself, you, you have all of this going on in the continent of Europe and then and the British Isles. Uh, talk to us a little bit about the specific uh, contribution that Jean-Claude, I want to mention three names, Jean-Claude, uh, Robert Robinson, and Charles Simeon. What, how did these three uh, uh, seminal leaders affect the trajectory of the development of homiletics during this period? Well, Claude was the uh, Frenchman uh, who uh, published uh, his uh, famous work uh, on the uh, uh, essay on the composition of a sermon was the actual title. And Claude's essay was written in French. And uh, Robert Robinson was one of the early Baptists. He was a pastor in Cambridge from from 1761 to 1790. Now, Robinson was an interesting fellow, and he has a connection here with Claude, which you ask about. Robinson was converted listening to the preaching of George Whitfield. In fact, Robinson was uh, an older teenager, maybe uh, I'm trying to recall whether he was 19 or 20 years of age, as I remember, uh, when he was converted, he heard Whitfield preaching. He was standing at the back, listening a huge crowd, listening to Whitfield preach uh, on God's impending judgment in a sermon uh, from Matthew, as I recall. And Robinson was converted. And uh, shortly thereafter, he became a Baptist. He became convinced of Baptist uh, theology, and he became a pastor of a Baptist church there in England. And he uh, pastored in Cambridge from 1761 to 1790. Uh, he was an amazing preacher. He would hold people's attention. Uh, those who heard him said that he could take you from laughter to tears in an instant. In some ways, he was like Spurgeon. His model preacher was uh, was George Whitfield. But later on, uh, Robert Robinson uh, developed or began to move in a bit more of an expositional way of preaching. And that was because he was influenced by this work you mentioned by the name of John Jean Claude, who was an earlier reformer in France, who wrote this volume, an essay on the composition of a sermon. And so Robert Robinson translated Claude's essay uh, into English. Now, from there, it would become influential in the preaching and teaching ministry of Charles Simeon, uh, the famous uh, pastor uh, there and professor of homiletics at Cambridge, England, for many, many years. And Simeon would take Claude's work and would use it in his own development of preaching and expositional preaching. Basically, Claude's work was... uh, a laying out a method of preaching in an expositional way. And so it was very important, played a very important role in homiletics. Uh, And so because Robert Robinson picked it up, translated it uh, and made it available and utilized it himself, and then it became influential in Simeon's ministry uh, after Robert Robinson's death and Simeon continuing to preach, uh, you know, on into what, 1840 or somewhere in that neighborhood. 
neighborhood. Uh, his many years of ministry teaching homiletics and preaching there in Cambridge, England. And that particular work, Simeon, becomes known essentially as the father uh, of, uh, of modern exposition in many ways. And he is hugely influential, not only in Baptist preaching, but beyond. But Simeon becomes especially influential on Baptist uh, because his own preaching was uh, influenced um, the uh, uh, founder and professor of preaching at uh, Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. And uh, the first president there or the, the founder there or the, uh, the professor of homiletics there, John Broadus, and his famous work on the preparation and delivery of sermons. And Broadus pays tribute to Simeon and Simeon's influence in his own ministry and to Jean-Claude's influence on Simeon and on Broadus as well. And so from Southern Seminary, early on with John Broadus, uh, the importance of expositional preaching from Claude, Robinson's translation of Claude, and now Broadus's use of of uh, Simeon and Claude's essay. Uh, then through John Broadus, you have the influence out into Southern Baptist life uh, until the present day. Uh, the former, the first professor of homiletics here at Southwestern Seminary, Jeff Ray, uh, was a student uh, of Broadus, uh, studied Broadus, and and taught preaching here, having been influenced by both Broadus and uh, by uh, Claude's essay. And so so uh, the, it's difficult to overestimate uh, the influence of Jean-Claude's essay, a Frenchman, a uh, French reformer, through the uh, translation of Baptist Robert Robinson into the Congregationalist uh, and great professor and, and pastor Charles Simeon, then to the great John Broadus, and then out into Southern Baptist life through so many, including Jeff Ray here here at Southwestern Seminary. Dr. Kyle Walker, who is our vice president here and also professor of preaching, as you know, uh, has done an excellent dissertation on Jeff Ray and shows these connections and how these connections uh, have worked out. So it's really quite a fascinating thing to know that Jean-Claude, through Robert Robinson, had this kind of influence on not just evangelical preaching and not just expository preaching, but even specifically on Baptist and Southern Baptist preaching. Now, for, uh, for our Preaching Source listeners, uh, you'll find on the website there's another excellent podcast uh, that we have in Preaching Source with Dr. Walker where he does precisely what you've alluded to there. He traces that, that uh, very important lineage right. of, of Baptist preaching. Uh, while in our remaining time, there are two other giants of the British pulpit that, that people... Uh, harken back to, and uh, sometimes they're compared and sometimes they're contrasted, but those two giants are Charles Spurgeon and Alexander McLaren. Dr. Allen, uh, can you tell us a little bit of how were these two great giants, how were they alike, how were they different? Uh, talk to us a bit about their significance to the 
pulpit and to homiletics. Well, two of my favorite people to talk about, teach about, and even read about and read their sermons, of course, would be Alexander McLaren and Charles Spurgeon. And difficult to overestimate would it be their influence in the field of exposition, in the field of preaching. Of course, Spurgeon and McLaren were uh, contemporaries there in the British pulpit in the 19th century. Spurgeon uh, dying in 19 uh, in 1892, uh, but uh, McLaren living on and preaching even into uh, the early uh, 20th uh, century. But McLaren was uh, known for his uh, meticulous examination of the text of Scripture and carefully looking at the text and letting the structure of the text drive, uh, to a certain extent, the development, the structure of his sermon. In that sense, he was somewhat uh, of a precursor of what we call today text-driven preaching and, and the approach to exposition that we're trying to take here at Southwestern Seminary. Um, he was pastor there at Union Chapel in Manchester. He pastored there for over 45 years. He had many opportunities to leave. He never did. Uh, he preached uh, literally to thousands there. Now, he, didn't, he never preached to as many as Spurgeon did probably at, at any one time, though it was not unusual for there to be 2,000 or more people in attendance um, who would listen to his preaching. Uh, He had faultless diction. Uh, He was known for his polished sentences, but also for his simplicity in his preaching and for the Christ-centered nature of his preaching. Again, this is where he and Spurgeon were very similar. Uh, Spurgeon uh, was a wordsmith, but so was McLaren. Spurgeon could use a turn of phrase, but so could uh, uh, McLaren and uh, the use of of uh, a text of scripture. McLaren particularly attempting to develop the structure of the text uh, into the sermon was something that actually made him uh, more of a consistent expositor than Spurgeon. Now I know some will jump over their ch- their chair when we say this, but there were even though it is true Spurgeon was an expository preacher on occasion, he was also on many other occasions not an expository preacher. I've read uh, many, many of his many published sermons, and uh, sometimes Spurgeon can allegorize too much, and sometimes uh, he develops points that are not in the text, or he makes the points application not necessarily having dealt with the actual structure of the text. So there's a difference between Spurgeon and McLaren at that point. But uh, McLaren, uh, like Spurgeon, preached with very few or no notes. Uh, In fact, he told sermon, he would tell uh, preachers, young preachers, burn your manuscripts. Uh, Don't preach with notes. Uh, He would generally stay with his text. Spurgeon would not always do that. That's the difference between the two of them. Uh, They both preach roughly the same amount of time, about 40 minutes. The thing that every preacher listening to this, though, needs to know related to Alexander McLaren is his original 32 volumes of Expositions of Holy Scripture, which are now in about published in 17 volumes, are gold mine, uh, a gold mine of sermons. They're basically his sermons uh, collected and placed in order. Now, McLaren did not always preach through books of the Bible. You might think he did based on that Expositions of Holy Scripture, but those are sermons that are taken and then placed in the order uh, so that you get his sermons through Genesis, through Colossians, through whatever. 
Uh, sometimes he did preach through books of the Bible, but not always. Uh, the most famous, by the way, in that series would be Genesis uh, and Colossians. And then his book, The Life of David, reflected in the Psalms, is also one of his most famous works. He wrote a number of volumes, uh, 40 volumes of sermons, by the way, uh, twice president of the Baptist Union. Uh, Spurgeon was never president of the Baptist Union. He was first president of the Baptist uh, uh, Union, Baptist World Alliance in 1905. And so McLaren uh, is very important. He needs to be ranked up there in many ways with Spurgeon, even though Spurgeon uh, was more well-known. Now, Spurgeon, of course, had the larger ministry in terms of numbers of people that would come to hear him and even more published sermons and volumes than McLaren did, though McLaren had many. But between the two of them, they literally rocked England. And of course, their sermons are still published today. McLaren sermons are still in print, as are Charles Spurgeon sermons, and both are very, very important. I might put in a plug for the later, latest, uh, latest uh, uh, two uh, unpublished sermons that have now been published uh, of Charles Spurgeon. Uh, thanks to Dr. Christian George there at uh, Midwestern Seminary and the Spurgeon Center there. There are now two volumes of Spurgeon's early sermons, unpublished sermons, and every preacher ought to get them and read them. They are excellent. But these two men played crucial roles uh, in Baptist preaching uh, in England uh, during the um, during the uh, 19th century and into the very early 20th century with McLaren. We've been speaking with Dr. David Allen, Dean of the School of Preaching at Southwestern Seminary on the subject of British Baptist preaching and actually a little bit of the Reformation British uh, preaching uh, as a whole and how it uh, intersects with our Baptist influences. Uh, if you have not read Dr. Allen's book, uh, he's one of the authors of Text Driven Preaching, published by Broadman and Holman. Uh, we use this as a textbook here for the introductory course at Southwestern Seminary, and every preacher ought to have a copy of Text Driven Preaching. It will show you the pattern, show you the plan for preaching sermons that honor the substance, structure, and spirit of the text. Dr. Allen, thank you so very much for being with us today on Preaching Source. Oh, thank you, Dr. McCarty. I appreciate it so very much, and I'm so thrilled with what's happening at Preaching Source with the material that's on that website and uh, with the podcast, most of which uh, you have hosted for us, and I am so grateful for your work, uh, not only there, but also at Southwestern Seminary and what God's doing through the School of Preaching here. It's an honor to serve the Lord here, and I'm very grateful for you and for the opportunity uh, to be on this program today. God bless you, sir. Thank you.